Gentlemen, start your engine! Good afternoon, radio. For those who don't know, Radio Hotler. Thanks for coming and making time. It's on everybody's mind. For those who don't know, there's a big shebang. Sorry about that. Diabolical, uh, um, um, technical goodies. Radio Hotler. Oh, cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers. But it's international inane banter now, isn't it? We have been international before. But not with me. No. So that doesn't count. No, that's right. We're, we're international. So I suppose it's time to say g'day viewers and welcome to Radio Hotlap episode 116. Because wow. we got a little wedgie in yesterday. And we're here at Le Mans, the 24-hour event, 2009, with... Um, my good friend Mark Fogarty. G'day John and g'day viewers. <laughs> can you hear us because you're a long way away? They can. It's the Friday at Le Mans, the sort of quiet day, there's no track activity but there's a lot of pomp and ceremony going on in the centre of town this afternoon, the Parade du Pilote, where you will see lots of colourful outfits, people in very unusual Mardi Gras style uniforms and little old ladies with gnarled faces looking out of the second story window as they have for the last 75 years. And you hooning it up in a uh, Ferrari 430 Scuderia. Yes, my How friend. How good is that? Uh, it was very good, in fact. Uh, my uh, my uh, colleague uh, here, Steen Buckman from mm. Bill Magazine in Denmark, um, had organised, as we'd said in an earlier event, of earlier show, a, a, a Scuderia 4.30 to drive to Le Mans. And we um, came across on the train, got off at Calais, and then uh, went down to Mont Saint-Michel, the uh, abbey on the, on the water where the tide goes out many miles to take some sort of sunset shots. But uh, it wasn't just the 4.30 folks. We had a little sneaky 599 Foriano as well. And um, very nice to say that neither car was delivered to us in red. One was silver and one was pearl blue with a little black stripe. So it really blended well into the fishing villages and didn't like say, look at me like most Ferraris do. But you can't have a Ferrari unless it's red. I'm sorry. A Ferrari has to be red. I don't, I don't understand why you would buy a Ferrari in any other colour but red. And you see, that's what we were talking about yesterday. Oh, it's listeners now. Uh, we've got the video on. Um, is that... Uh, <laughs> in full HD? In full HD. Full HD as well. Whoa. Guaranteed to waste your bandwidth downloading it, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, yes, some people require a red car to satisfy their ego. Yes. I would. Yes. Is there something Freudian about that, do you think? Well, while you were speeding down the auto route in your Ferraris, not red, I was doing similar the day before in a white, a virginal white, uh, Porsche Cayman S, the latest model with all the fruit including the 7-speed PDK double clutch gearbox. Pretty good little piece of kit. Didn't quite extend it as much as I gather that you have extended your Ferraris but uh, we gave it a good hit and it was a pretty nice little motor as they say across the channel. And here we are at Le Mans my first time back here since 1997 
And I have to say, a lot has changed, but a lot hasn't changed. A lot of it is still very familiar, but there's a lot of new buildings. There's a ton of people here. There was a ton of people here yesterday. Well, Steen seems to think that there's a, a lot less people um, here. Yeah. Steen, come and say hello on the show, mate. Hey, hello. Steen. How are you? Yeah, good. Good. good from Denmark. Well, I just talked to one of the, uh, the Danish travel organisers. They said that they closed down 7,000 camping, uh, camping uh, in the camping area. There were 7,000 less people than last year because of the rebuilding and reconstruction. All right. Still, 7,000 out of what? What do they get here over race weekend? Yes. Yeah. 300, yeah. It's like the Indy 500. Half of them Danish. All here to see Special K win another race. Really? Absolutely. Yeah, now, I sent you that email saying go to the press launch in Copenhagen with the, with the Danish drivers. Yeah. And I said, get a shot of Alan and Special K. And he came back and said, what, the cereal? Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> we were talking about Tom Christensen. But, the uh, all, I thought you would have been able call to... Him, call him Tom I spoke Tom. to Tom Christensen yesterday, had a long chat with him. I mean, he's now, like, he is just the biggest Le Mans legend ever, isn't he? Yes, I mean, he nine victories. That's who, who would ever have thought? I remember when Jackie X got his sixth, you thought nobody's ever going to approach that. Special K's got a third more. And it's great. I mean, I, I used to deal with Tom Christensen back in um, our British Touring Car Championship days. He drove for uh, Honda when ProDrive, who now are running the Aston Martin racing team, ran the Hondas and the BTCC. And um, he was a great guy back then you know, one of the more sensible drivers. Um, he's got a healthy ego, but he's not up himself. And, um, you know, look Just what's the right happened since then. for a racing car driver. <laughs> in fact, he uh, he'd, uh, recently said that uh, perhaps his days in DTM are coming to an end and we'll be looking forward to a, a long uh, history, you know, career, ongoing career in sports yeah, car. No, and true. in fact, it's almost a renaissance period in sports cars, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> oddly, near what would normally be the end of his career, you could argue that he's... Uh, reaching his peak but yes he plans to that this will be his last season in DTM and uh, he's going to continue in sports cars as long as he can I asked him he's what 41 now and I said so how long do you see yourself in sports cars and he said well open-ended Mario Andretti came here to Le Mans race when he was you know 60 odd so he's he, he plans to bat on and you know why not I mean he's he's with well debatably the best team in sports car racing Audi Sport, um, so he could be going for, well he's the European version of Peter Brock isn't he, he's got nine Le Mans 24 hours, Brock had nine Bathurst 1000 victories, Steen's looking at me, he's like who is he talking about? But uh, Brock he did get a 24 hour victory, yeah, ten. so Tom's got one exactly more, one really. more to equal our legend, but no it's, it's very interesting, when I say, and talking about people hitting their career peak late in late in their uh, driving careers, you know, David Brabham's very similar. You know, he's he's at the top of his game in sports car racing now with, with the Acura in the United States and here um, with the Peugeot team and he's got a fantastic shot at winning this event, I would have thought, and equaling the feat of his brother Jeff back in 1992 Two. or three. Something no, like that. I think Vern Schupan was 91. No, 83. 1983. Oh, I'm sorry, who's the sports car tragic here? Not me. me. Oh, I don't know all those figures, folks. You know, don't I don't sprout. Not into like stats. It's a light-hearted look at the yeah. world. Of anyway, we were talking about the crowds. Well, it's interesting that you say that they're down a bit, but still, I mean, to me, 
um, particularly yesterday's Friday. teaming. Yeah, well, there's no, it's nothing going on today. If it's your first day in 12 years, then of course the crowd's huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a funny thing about Tom Christensen to talk more about him. Mm. People think that if, if you only see him through TV or radio, he's very controlled, very cool, very audience guy. But if you go to the Danish uh, to the Danish uh, tents, we have two big tents. There are 35,000 Danes here. Uh, it's, Denmark is 1,500 kilometers away. Mm. If you go there on Friday, all the Danish drivers they go to these tents, and the tents are packed with people. And especially Tom K and uh, Jan Magnussen. Mm -hmm. That's like watching a real top quality stand-up comedian. Really? Yeah. John Nielsen had the same thing. Mm -hmm. And Alan Simonson the same. These guys have got a career. As a, as a bunch together after their, you know, when they're in wheelchairs. Yeah. In, presumably in Danish, they do their comedy yeah, act in Danish, yeah. 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 I mean, they're not, they're not boring guys in English that's either. Question, they just... That's a question from the audience, and they yeah. have a manager put the questions up, but then, then they're supposed to entertain people for 12 minutes. Last year, Magnus, everybody was laughing themselves. And he, he was there for 35 minutes, mm. and he, he told me afterwards that he did it because... He's it a fun. bit of a crowd favourite, yeah. yeah, yeah he saw is. him out this morning at the Corvette yeah. tent there, uh, signing away, um, as usual, with uh, his, his lovely wife, Christina, um, who's uh, updating his Facebook page at this very moment in the background. Said hello, we'll, we'll no doubt catch up with them in town, folks, and have yes. a beer or something like that. But yeah, just one other thing I'd like the Tom Christians, after you've won this race so many times, really it's a case of it's the skills about knowing when not to go fast because you've got to be there at the end, haven't you? And I think now with the with the change in regulation scheme that you'd mentioned of the number of mechanics that are allowed to work on the car in a pit stop, the, the time has risen to about over one hour that they will spend in the pit mm -hmm. over the period yeah. of the uh, of the, the, the race. That's uh, a good statistic. Tom Christensen manager Nils Finnell told me this morning that Audi will definitely go for a forced end uh, strategy. And, and this is bad news for Peugeot because they can only do three on really? the same tyres. Okay. Yeah. But it's still, it's still, from what I can gather, it boils down to it's still basically now a 24-hour sprint, though, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, yes and no, but like it's one of those events that you could still win from pit lane, like Larry Perkins did at Bathurst a few years back. Mm. So uh, it's, you know, safety car neutralises everything here, and perhaps it is actually better. Mm. One of Tom but Christensen's unfulfilled ambitions is to race in the Bathurst 1000. And he's one of, you know, relatively few top international touring car drivers who actually hasn't had at least one shot at Mount Panorama. So, any teams listening out there, one day give Tom Christensen a call. He's uh, he's up for it. Put him up with another Dane, perhaps. Yes, Roland, and, your dream team. And and Sven Simonson. That's right. <laughs> um, John. Just one thing before I forget, what I found very interesting yesterday is um, watching uh, the evening qualifying. It's of course the first time I've heard these diesel powered cars rushing around the track. You didn't hear them though. Exactly. In, in fact, the, the Audi, I didn't hear at all when it was racing down the straight. It was like virtually silent. The Peugeot, a bit noisier, but still not um, orally exciting. And then the Aston Martin came past. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Screaming V12. I'm sorry, that sounds like a race car. These mm -hmm. diesels don't cut it. 
and then the Corvettes come rumbling past. That they you know, it's like NASCARs come to Le Mans. It's fantastic. But I, a I very really strategic comment, uh, 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 folks. Just at this very moment, David Rich has poked his head around the corner as we sit in the Aston Martin VIP area, just to give you a little sort of. Did Dr. poke his head around to say hello? He he's a he's a good bloke. Dr's all right. No, he's sitting there with, uh, with Scott Atherton, yeah. who's the, uh, the, the boss of panels he's and uh, IMSA. He's looking after us here, well, me anyway, I don't know about you. Um, but I'm not convinced about the crowd appeal of, of diesel-powered cars and the noise. To me, I'm old-fashioned, you know, a big part of the, of the attraction of motorsport is the noise. And, you know, I'm here to be proved wrong, and they're, I mean, they're brilliantly sophisticated pieces of kit. I mean, the cars are just staggeringly... The Peugeot's gorgeous. It looks like a 21st century racing car. Yeah, it looks like And the Audi's not an oil painting, but it's very purposeful. And, you know, the setups here are, are well, they're not quite to Formula One standard, but they're certainly as good as Formula One would have been maybe, you know, as few as five years ago. They're, they're big operations, but I just, I think the cars are great. And the Aston Martin is beautiful. It really is. Setups, setups are huge. Car. Last year, Audi had 20 people to look after the injection technology. Really? They didn't do anything else. They sat in a trailer for the whole weekend and yeah. analysing stuff. Yeah. Well, in the current economic climate, it's pretty impressive that they've, you know, they've got to be spending big, big money on this show. And Peugeot and Audi, particularly, have got huge hospitality facilities here behind the paddock. And then you go outside the paddock a little bit around the, the track and there's even bigger hospitality multi-story edifices out there so you know it's still a big event a big event for uh, promoting your wares to all your corporate guests and uh, VIPs. Bear in mind it goes for 12 times longer than a Formula One race and um, you know yeah. you, it's a great opportunity well, as you say for, but think the, how much, for networking. Think how much food and drink they're getting through across the course of the weekend. Not and now that we're race. here, we'll be... Well, yeah, <laughs> I, hope, I hope they've bought in new supplies. They, <laughs> Extra. Take, they take hundreds of VIP guests to the airstrip just beside the track. Yes. And they take them round to the Anage and Mossad Mossad corners in the Audi A8 uh, with, with long wheelbase. Mm -hmm. And they have Volkswagen transporters and so... Right. Speaking of the airport across from the track too, it, it's pretty impressive, the lineup of um, business jets sitting oh, yeah. sitting there. Waiting to go. Suddenly it becomes a, um, yeah. a main airport. Are we going to go out and have a look around the track across the weekend, Johnny? Are you going to show me around? Yes, we're going to get some scooters and we're going to go down to the first chicane around about three in the morning Ooh. if you're still up. Well, when it's dark and there's yeah. a lot of mistakes going on. Yeah, oh, that'd be good. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Now, on pole, we've got the Peugeots. For the third year in a row, Stefan Sarazen has, uh, has managed to do that. And just in the last, the dying moments of the final qualifying, um, uh, Nick Pohl away from uh, Alan McNish in the Audi. Wow. The, uh, the format's changed a bit this year, folks, because it was pre uh, previously Wednesday and Thursday were qualifying days mm -hmm. with 7 till 9 and 10 till midnight. Um, from a PR point of view, you were dead on your feet at 4 in the morning after you'd written, written the story. But with the, um, the uh, GFU, um, they decided not to have a... Uh, a, an, an official test day. So the Wednesday mm. became a six hour practice session, mm -hmm. which was the official, mm -hmm. you have to do mm. a minimum amount of laps. Most of it was in the wet, too. And I'm glad we've it come here. Dumping down on Wednesday, yeah, all uh, the way here from London. All it did was rain, rain, rain. So it must have been exciting. The um, Peugeot's, though, don't seem to have quite, well, last year anyway, they did not quite have the fuel economy. 
that the Audis and with the, the cabin arrangement you know, being a closed cockpit, more difficult for some engineers to be able to get in to make some small adjustments if they had to do that. And really, I think it was the fuel economy and the slightly longer pit stops that, uh, that caused them to uh, to lose the race. And they, they were shattered because they're a bit of an underdog, aren't they, Steen? Like the, the Peugeot's, if they don't win this weekend, they're going to be very, very tanky. They were going to win last year and they thought they were going to win. Yeah. It was their turn to win, but they didn't. No, they will be cross. Indeed. And, and you mentioned about the closed cockpit cars. Yes. I gather there's a new rule for this year that they all have to run air conditioning. They, that's not just this year, they previously have had to do that. And that's oh, also the case in the GT2 and GT1 cars and anything with a closed cockpit. Um, how they monitor that is a bit is a bit dubious, but they do check that, that it works. And we might say that it works very nice in the in the 430 scooter here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Certainly. we didn't really notice yeah. the power drain. Yeah. Well, they obviously haven't been tapping into V8 supercar technology because they don't still don't seem to be able to come up with a air conditioning system efficient enough to um, survive in the conditions during the Clipsal 500s. It's been an ongoing debate for years, so maybe some of the V8 supercar engineers should come over here and look at what they're doing to make these, which must be just heat sinks, have an air conditioning system that works and doesn't sap too much power. But th this requirement for air conditioning, I mean, it makes eminent sense. It keeps the drivers fresher and fitter. But yeah, what yeah. brought it on? Was there some incident that triggered the requirement? Yes, there was. It was hot. Yeah, but and they, they were, well, it's going, been hot for 100 years. Yeah. In, in 2005, it was more than 40 degrees. Weather report. <laughs> it, was, it was so hot that Jan Magnussen took a sip from his water and he threw up in a helmet because the water was like boiling. It was more than 80 degrees. Right. And, and, and they had air conditioning in the helmet, but it was not enough, and they, the drivers were... Cool suits. And you should try to stay in a tent in 2005. Mm -hmm. We tried to drink and, and, and to see if that helped, but mm -hmm. it didn't. Well, answers my question, thank you. Okay. GT2 is uh, pretty much, again, a battle between Porsche and Ferrari, um, and a lone spiker. There are 10 Ferrari 430s here, and two Porsche, and um, Ferrari was wanting to win it. They did last year with Risi competition, and um, the Porsche though has taken pole for the class, and uh, and, and third place, Alan Simonson with a hand uh, hand cooked uh, Ferrari in fifth place, which is not too bad out of about I think 18, mm -hmm. maybe maybe less. I don't know. You know what I'm yeah. like with numbers, but a um, lot of them. They will not be happy if they don't win with 10 of them, and I'm no doubt Porsche, if they win, will be sort of saying, well, it took 10 of you to beat us, and you still didn't. I so haven't, I haven't spoke, is to Porsche. I haven't spoken to Alan yet, haven't got around to catching up with him, but is he happy? Is he feeling I good about it? I haven't seen him either. Oh, yeah, it's right. been a great okay, week. So, yeah. <laughs> 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 it'll, be, it'll be news for all of us. And Actually, hang on, I, did, I had dinner with him in, in Denmark the yeah. other day, and then we went to a Supercart um, Championship uh, on, on the last weekend, so we've... Uh, had a few laughs together and stuff like that. But um, what about GT, GT GT1? Well, it's a farewell for GT1 uh, and a farewell for Probably the Corvette, for the Corvettes, yes. which it actually had farewelled itself at uh, Long Beach Grand Prix. Um, and uh, despite the rumours that uh, they would be here with their cars and a hot dog tent, they have the full hospitality suite, despite yes. the, uh, the downturn in uh, GM Central. Mm. Well, GM, yes, going into Chapter 11, bankruptcy protection. Um, the big boss, the marketing boss of Chevrolet, who oversees the motorsport budget, um, he spoke to a, a friend of mine over in Detroit um, last week, 
Mike Brudenell, an expat Aussie who's the uh, auto racing writer of the Detroit Free Press. And um, he talked to this guy from Chevrolet and the Chevrolet guy said, well, look, you know, we're committed to our motorsports programs. We're staying in NASCAR. We're staying in NHRA and short track racing. And, you know, we're going to Le Mans, you know, with the Corvettes. But sure, we're going to have to, you know, trim back our budgets. We won't be spending as much and we're going to have to be leaner and meaner. But, you know, he, he assured Mike Brudenell that uh, Chevy is going to stay in its motorsport programs in the foreseeable future. I'm not sure what that means for the Corvettes, although they've already started development of this, of um, next year's version, that's sort of a kind of a GT2 car, is it not? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. 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 And, and it makes sense for them to go to GT2. I, I talked to Ian Markerson and he's been testing it since February. Mm -hmm. they've, they've made a mock-up based on the GT1 car. It has seven, 70 to 80 horsepower less and it has a lot less downforce, which mm. is uh, a significant when, when you break down from very high speeds, he says you really have to be on it. Right. But it's much more fun to drive. Mm -hmm. And he's looking forward to delivering it to the other uh, drivers being when it's red on the other one side and green on the other side. And they're having a laugh about it. So oh, he's yeah. really looking forward. I also asked him if if they were... I tried to ask him a funny question. I tried to be funny. Uh, if, if they were told to, to save the tires and to, to go easy on the on the petrol and so on and he, he, didn't, think, he didn't find the question funny at all. He says they're into racing to win. Mm. So and talking about cutbacks though, the, the point you were making is that their big hospitality yeah, edifice down here in the back of the paddock yeah. is huge. It doesn't look like anyone's cutting back any budget there, does it? No, it's... I haven't been in it yet. It's the same but it's GM operation that yeah. they've had each year. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the first year I came to Le Mans in 2002, folks, there was a eight-level Audi operation, and there's rumoured to have spent up to $200 million on the whole program really? just to develop everything associated with it. Well, the one they've got here, if I'm not mistaken, this is the... Uh, Red, Red Bull, Bull refueling station yes. that they effectively use the Red Bull uses at the Formula One events, and um, it's been diverted here for this I race. Think it's just a spare on the way to Silverstone. Well, I would have thought so, but someone suggested to me well, that it was the actual it, how one. Could they, how could they possibly pull pull it down from from Turkey last weekend? They wouldn't have had it at Turkey. That, that's an away race. It wouldn't have. It wouldn't have got, I don't think it would have gone there anyway. There's no way they could pull this down and get it set up in time. No, and, but they and didn't ship to Britain. Um, well, they can pull it down pretty quickly. Yeah. You may just, well be right, but it was suggested. It was suggested to me that, anyway. It's a, it's it's a pretty damn good replica, but it's not. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's not, that is the, this, not, however, is neither here nor there, is it? We shouldn't get bogged down on detail. No, we, I mean it's after twelve. Lunchtime. Well, it's a hand up in the little and bus. And in oh, France, what does that mean? Pichet rosé mm. <laughs> and mules. Yes. He wants some moves for lunch. And Chardonnay. There's a little uh, Lanson champagne stand down the road there. Oh, That's yeah, very attractive. Yes. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, moving back home. Someone's happily resigned from V8 Supercars. Resigned, you reckon? Wow. Mm. That's what the story yeah. says. And we wish him all the best. Yes. V8 Supercars, Chief Executive. Well, no, I'm thinking of Cameron Levick, the Chief Executive of V8 Supercars. He's resigned this week as well. well is On all... top of Campbell Little. Yes, it's all well, intertwined. It's, it's no, all interlinked. You know who's next? Craig Lowndes. It's all the CLs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good point. Um, no, as you were saying, Cameron, uh, Campbell Little, um, 
the technical. He fell on his sword basically over the splitter gate affair um, and the uh, aftermath of that. And uh, shortly thereafter, after the board, in fact, after the V8 supercar board meeting um, on Wednesday, I believe it would have been back in Australia, um, Cameron Levick, who's the newly appointed chief executive officer, only came on board eight months ago. Um, he's had a gut pull he, as well. Yeah. He's out as well. So now um, Tony Cochran is back in sole charge. He's been made executive chairman. <laughs> Don't know what difference that is from what he was before, because even though he was non-executive chairman, he still run, ran the show. Something the he's, VP of chairman. Yeah. He's now going to run V8 supercars until the end of the year while they look for yet another chief executive officer. Now, maybe they might go back and pick the right bloke this time, who they should have got in the first place. Um, and among the leading candidates, I should think, hopefully, is Martin Whitaker, who's the general manager of the Bahrain International Circuit. Why do you think there's a lot of human resource turnover there? <clears throat> the people who run it are hard taskmasters, maybe? No, it's, it's more to the point that the teams own 75% and although on the board they don't really have the power of veto, um, SEL, the company that um, is in partnership with the teams in V8 Supercars and it's run by Tony Cochran, they've actually got the power of veto. But there, it's, you know, it is an intensely political environment as we've spoken of before and the, you know and if the teams don't like something or someone eventually they will gang up and make life unlivable and that's what they've done certainly with Campbell Little over the technical issues and technical arguments and I think also I'm pretty sure also they've just made the situation untenable for Cameron Levick um, who may have had some good and big ideas um, but I think he saw in the end that he just wasn't going to be able to push it through. And also I think it's fair to say that I really don't think he understood the sport well enough. You don't have to be a, an enthusiast or an expert on motorsport to run the sport, but I think you have to have some empathy for it, some feel and some understanding of what motivates the teams, the people that drive the sport. And I'm not sure, he, I'm really not sure he was getting that and I think it just wore him down in the end. And um, certainly I was I was aware in the last at least month or so going back to Winton when Splittergate blew up even a bit further I got the feeling then he was dead man walking really there'll be a lot of motorsport to come out of uh, our mouth I suppose our mouths our mouths, our mouths over the next uh, 36 to 48 hours so um, I think on that note it's Tech time! My favourite bit. You, and boy, have you got some stuff to talk about. iPhone 3GS. I'm not the full deal on it. I've read little bits and pieces, had a few comms issues along the way here, but it seems to have, addre it seems to have addressed, this new version of the iPhone, all the uh, problems and deficiencies of the iPhone 3G, and we've spoken about this before. You know, one example being voice control for dialing numbers. It's there. And in fact, I'm not sure, is it going to be available on the iPhone 3 upgrade? Yeah, I believe, I believe so. Yes. I think that the, the S stands for speed, a yep. newer processor, and also a 3 megapixel camera. Mm. So the operating system, um, and no doubt the firmware effectively, will, will be updated. And I think even the very, the very first phone can uh, 
can, can take it as well. Um, I'm looking forward to it. When is this the version 3 upgrade going to be available? Version 3 upgrade will be available on the 17th of this month and Snow Leopard, the next version of the operating system, effectively 10.6 in uh, mid-September. Um, one of the other uh, interesting things that have uh, come with um, iPhone 3.0 is push technology, so communications can be sent out to your phone should you be requesting mm -hmm. uh, re requesting you know a service that is providing that, like changes in share values or weather reports. So rather than you know you, it's more proactive rather than passively being delivered to you. Um, a nice feature is uh, I thought was really quite cute. <laughs> you can see they're all going to copy it. Is find my phone, and um, if you happen to have lost your phone and you're a mobile me subscriber at me.com and mm -hmm. for a, a very reasonable price per year um, and your phone is phone disappears you can uh, track it through Google Maps and you can see exactly where your phone is what's more you can send a message to the phone saying hello I'm lost could if you found me ring this number even if you're on silent you can get it to make us make a, um, a a, a noise so that people identify that there's a phone there or you've left it in the house somewhere it's on silent you want to find it but on top of that if it's really lost you can send a remote wipe command that just erases everything on that but when you get your new phone you just plug it in ka-ching all back again very clever yep uh, and also I gather I don't I can't remember if it's on version 3 or not but certainly on the 3GS they've now incorporated um, uh, an inbuilt application for uh, rec voice recording uh, which is something that I've been doing with my iPhone and you as well with Speakeasy, turning yes. it into a digital recorder, which is a fantastic application that I use all the time now. In fact, I've almost fully switched over to using my iPhone to record all the interviews I do for auto action and all that. But now, However, we are using the trusty uh, video, oh, yes. video classic here with the micro, Micromat uh, little flexible mic because that has a nice line input. That's, it works. We know it works. It does. Anyway, but that's another interesting feature they've, they've added and uh, I think it's interesting that they seem to have listened to users who you know, adopted a lot of these uh, applications that have been offered by third party groups and they've taken them on board perhaps or was it that they always had these things planned and in the back room just waiting to go for the upgrade anyway I suspect possibly it's the latter very very clever uh, stuff and I would suggest anybody who's got yeah, 40, 45, an hour 45 uh, spare, go to apple.com and uh, you'll find on the, the homepage there a link to watch a video video cast of the Worldwide Developers Conference in, uh, in Moscone Centre in San Francisco the other day. And let me tell you listeners, if you're suffering from depression and having tablets, you don't need to anymore. Just watch that for an hour and a bit and you'll be feeling very, very positive and want to go out and write all these applications because it's really actually quite easy to, to do that. And I've got a little bit of something in the works. I can't say too much about it, but um, it involves dogs. iPhones are dogs. This is a family show. It, it is we don't family. want to get into that then, do we? But it involves dogs. The uh, power... Oh, lowered the tone. You go on. The, 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 Viewers, yeah. you should have seen the look on his face, you know. it's just like <laughs> it was just that bloke over there with the, with the beard yeah. uh, they, they quietly upgraded the MacBooks as well so they're all a bit mm. faster but they've introduced a no excuse solution for you now
because you were umming and ahhing about whether you're going to get mm. one now. There's a 13 inch MacBook Pro, probably one a little bit bigger than that. But the, the good thing is that the 15, which is just going to fit, fit perfectly for you, has come down in price and gone up in performance. So thanks very much. I'll look at that when I get back. Steam, in Denmark, I've been having some really interesting food. And uh, I, I, the Danish the Danish lunches are just a delight. They're like they're the equivalent of a Japanese teppanyaki meal on a sandwich. And with, it's called Schmurbrod. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. What the, tell us more about the culture of Danish lunch food. Well, in English, it, w- it would be open sandwiches with uh, with with cold uh, meat or fish. And so, the, well, it's a, it's an old culture that that you get three or four half uh, pieces of rupel uh, of, of open uh, dark bread. Rupel, what's that called in English? Right, right uh, black bread. Yeah. Black bread. Yeah. yeah. Really heavy. With butter on it, and then maybe some raw herring with some raw onion on top, and then you get snaps by the side. This is fantastic. Alberg. Oldberg, yeah. And you, Oldberg, you give, it a, give it a whooshka, yeah, yeah, and yeah, then you, you say skull. Skull, yeah. You get it. No, it's good stuff. Sounds like an acquired taste to me. And we also we also eat cold uh, liver pate with some, uh, it's called sku, which means sky. It's a brown uh, thing, uh, jelly that you can see through. Uh, it's made of uh, soup. And then it's followed with a little skull. Yeah, yeah, you can get a little snaps to it. Yes, sure. Mm. Keep, keep on going. Mm. Yeah, I think you like that. And there's a bit of dill on some things as well. Yeah, yes, so yes, it works yes. very well. And what I like as a hot lunch, folks, mm-hmm. was a pork as a sandwich, and it had pork crackling with oh, yeah, onion and uh, and sweet uh, cucumbers. Sliced cucumber. Mm. What, what is this called? Ribbon sliced sandwich. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it tastes fantastic. Mr. Crunchy came to town that yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, I mean, love a bit of pig sweat in a sandwich. So, um, I think it's time we should head I'm off. a bit dumbstruck, actually. Well, Sorry, this is my lack of... Well, didn't <laughs> you know that, that, that crackling is the pig sweat? Yes, I do. That's not the bit I'm dumbstruck about, but anyway... Wasn't expecting that diversion in the conversation. It's time for us to head off into town for a little schnapps and some witter, perhaps, a moon, oysters and mussels. Have a nice little spot uh, just in mind, and uh, we'll do a bit of battle with the waiters in order to try to get a little side dish of horseradish, which is virtually impossible for them to understand. But we'll, we'll work on it. And uh, a crisp dry Chardonnay for steam yeah. has been working terribly hard in the Scuderia. Yeah. Scuderia. Sounds good. I was behind good. the wheel for more than 12 hours yesterday. Really? I'm driving like a madman. I'm, I'm completely paranoid. I'm afraid that they take my driving license. But at, at no time I exceeded 160 miles. I didn't go fast on that. You're okay yeah. then. <laughs> He's braver than I am. God, I, was, I drove like a girl. I was the passenger. <laughs> okay, viewers, we'll speak to you during the race of Le Mans. Looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> See you, viewers.